Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast edition of Sunset Moms for October 3rd, 2019. Today you're going to hear from Barbara File. She's a former pastor at Sunset Presbyterian Church for well over 20 years. She is a leader and cheerleader of women's ministry, and these days she spends her time in her own counseling practice. So we are blessed to hear from her, to hear her talk on flourishing from a biblical perspective. Thank you for having me here. I hope I can do what she just said. <laughs> and um, yeah, flourish. Wow. What a, uh, I, I, I had to laugh when Ada texted me and I thought, seriously, that's the title you're going to give to a year with a mom's group? <laughs> like, I think I would rethink that. <laughs> because I'm not sure that you all think of yourself as flourishing on most days, you know what I mean? Um, I know that often, particularly if you have little ones, but even once they get into school uh, and you're doing all that drop off and pick up and getting backpacks packed in the morning and lunches made and all of that, you know, most days if you just keep your kids alive, you're doing well, huh? So what if we say that's flourishing? Are your kids alive at the end of the day? You're flourishing, you know? And you're alive. Yes, and you're alive. Well, no, you're probably half dead, but or mostly dead, like Princess Bride. But, you know, or a little dead or something like that. But, yeah, if your kids are alive, you're flourishing. Um, so the first thing I did, because it's what you do when someone gives you a topic, is you define it. So I uh, went to the dictionary on my phone, and it said to grow well and be healthy to grow well and be healthy. Um, <clears throat> by the way, flourish also means, when, uh, when it's used as a noun, it means an ostentatious display. Like you add a flourish to something. And for a few of you, that might be true. That's how you flourish, you know? You kinda can walk in. Do you know those people? that just their entrance into a room is an ostentatious display. And I don't mean that in a negative way, I mean that's just who they are. But that's not going to be everybody. So, it also means to be in a vigorous state or to thrive. One definition talked about uh, to flourish means to, to kind of grow quickly, you know. You add, you know, you have that kind of, that kind of uh, plant food that makes your plants flower more, um, <clears throat> that would be kind of to grow strong or quickly. Um, it also means uh, to grow and develop in a healthier, vigorous way, especially as a result of a favorable environment. Isn't that an interesting one? Here's the one problem with that. We are not always in a favorable environment, are we? And as much as we would seek to control our environment to make it a favorable environment, the reality is there are all kinds of seasons of life where you are not in a favorable environment. And, um, and then I thought about the word flourish <clears throat> and how would we find it or think about it in the pages of scripture. And one of the things that the Bible often talks about and makes a lot of analogies to in both the Old and New Testament, partly because it was done written in an ancient world, is to plant life. And often uh, our own growth is compared to the growth of plants and what makes plants grow. 
And one of my favorite uh, descriptions of that is found in Jeremiah 17, and it says um, in verse 8, um, or actually it's talking about a person who trusts in the Lord. Um, it, it says um, that person, the one who trusts in the Lord, oh wait, let me go back up here. Okay, um, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man or in humans who draws strength from mere human effort and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands and will not see prosperity when it comes. So they won't even know. They don't even identify real flourishing. They might see something as flourishing that actually is not necessarily flourishing. Um, and they dwell in the parched places in the desert in a salt land where no one lives. And by the way, most people uh, who are in that state don't know they're in it. They assume that they're doing quite well. Maybe they have wealth or power or influence or they feel, you know. Then it says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in God. They, or I'm going to say she, will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream, and it does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green, and it has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. So wouldn't you say that's kind of a picture of flourishing? Mm -hmm. And flourishing despite, an un at times, an unfavorable environment. And um, I would encourage you to think through your own life and to think about when, have the, when, when are the times in my life when I felt like I was flourishing? And when did I not feel like I was flourishing? And looking back on my life, when do I now, when do I, how, how, when I look back, do I see times that at the moment I did not feel like I was flourishing? But now, in retrospect, I say, oh my gosh, my roots were deep enough during that time that I was getting the water that I needed and it looked like a drought on the surface, but underneath I was actually still growing. And I think we can all do that. I sit with clients all day in my private practice, and we often talk about their story, their journey, and oftentimes we're looking at things that were very painful in their childhood, young adult years, or even or in their uh, adult life, and <clears throat> we're looking at those things, and I invite them to share their pain with me, to share how difficult it was. Ultimately, and, and by the way, I don't try to silver lining it to quote Brene Brown, you know, I don't do that with them. We want to truly hold because only when you do that do you then begin to see where there were things that were happening, resilience that grew up in them that they didn't even realize was there because they were looking at the drought on the surface rather than the roots that went down into the into the spring or into the stream. So this year, as you uh, dive into a lot of different topics, my hope and prayer is that you will be able to say, okay, I'm learning more how to flourish. So um, I thought about doing, I mean, I could really truly, I, I love taking themes through scripture and I thought about taking kind of a, uh, the theme of flourishing, growing like plants and through the pages of scripture and we could certainly do that. But then I started thinking about what would be most helpful for you 
And what did my heart want to share with you? And I thought I'd rather share a little bit from my own life, some things that have really made an amazing difference for me. So as Danya said, I served on the staff here at Sunset as a pastor for 26 years. And during that time, my husband left our marriage and did not return and I got divorced. And um, you know, I came here after the years of infertility um, and, and realizing we weren't gonna have kids and then, and then marriage ended as well. And, um, but it was a really, it, it's in many ways as difficult, all the ups and downs, it's been a flourishing time. Um, in the course of that, I went back and got a degree, a doctorate degree in ministry, and then realized that that wasn't gonna net me anything. It was wonderful, don't get me wrong, it was good, and I'm glad I did it. It was a wonderful capstone for all those years, particularly as a woman in ministry, because that's kind of what the focus of my dissertation was. And, but I thought, you know, now, so I actually graduated in June, turned around the next fall, and went back and got a degree in clinical mental health counseling and launched a private practice at the end of that degree and and actually finished that degree at 60 years of age. So I've been now in private practice five years. Yeah, so I'm the queen. I was the girl who said I would never go back to school ever, ever in my life once my first master's was done. I thought that was gonna, a tremendous waste of time. So I'm just here to tell you all, it's never too late. <laughs> it's never too late, I'm telling you. Your brain will still function. It will still work. You can do that. So if you all, any of you sitting here with dreams of someday I'd like to, you might be able to do that. I remember sitting with a group of women. They were all older than me and um, wonderful women of God who were flourishing that were in their 50s, some in their 60s, one in her 70s. And we were, I was the leader of this amazing team of women, which was totally humbling. And we did a national women's conference back in that day. And I don't remember why we got on a conference. I think it started out as a conversation about gray hair. And one of them said to me, because I said, oh, when I reach this age, I'm, I'm not going to color my hair anymore. And um, and she said, oh, no, dear, you don't want to go gray. And um, I'm glad I have a wonderful hairdresser that helped me get back to gray and my dark color both, which works for me. But um, we were talking about age. And for some reason, I said in the middle of this conversation about age that I thought that my most fruitful years of ministry would be 50 and beyond. I had no idea what I was saying. None, zip, zero. I was probably about 40 at the time. And I certainly didn't know what hardships were coming between 40 and 50. And I had no idea. And now I think to myself, oh my gosh, that's exactly what has happened. I'm 65 years of age. I am single. I am a sole provider for myself, which that's a daunting task. In my own business, that's another daunting task. I'm here to tell you the vulnerability that I feel. Some of you are Facebook friends, so you know I woke up one morning and my garage door didn't work, and that stuff freaks me out. I mean, it just freaks me out. You know, Carrie said, well, you know, you could have Ubered to work. Well, no, not, not and stay home and, and meet the garage repairman, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it was like, I don't have that app yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> Clearly, I'm not in the 21st century. But, but that stuff, I mean, stuff around my house, that'll level me 
faster than anything. I can sit with trauma and all kinds of terrible things that most of you don't want to hear anything about, and my garage door breaks and I'm a mess. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. It's fixed now. Everything's good. But, but at the same time, despite being in a place where I really did not want to be, my greatest fear in life was to be alone. And there's a little wound attached to that in me, and I live alone. And despite that, somehow I find that I'm able to flourish. So I, what I did was I sat down the last couple of days, I started thinking about this several weeks ago, and I thought, I want to share with you 14 reasons why I'm flourishing, why I feel like I'm flourishing, even at this season of life. And you're not at my season of life because you all have the challenge of kids. That's what I do on Thursdays. Thursdays is Baba Day. The only reason I don't have one with me is because they both went with mom to the pumpkin patch on the preschool you know, outing this morning. But that's where I'll head after this and spend the rest of the day there. And um, so Thursdays is my kid fix day and lots of kids and now a puppy on top of the kids. Yeah, so exciting. Have a puppy or you have a puppy? Oh, I do not have a puppy. <laughs> No, Carrie has a puppy. Because five kids wasn't enough. You know what I mean? You know? So, yeah. So, why not just, if you're going to do chaos, go big. Go big. All right. 14 reasons why I'm flourishing. These are not in the order of importance. Uh, they're each unique, but I will highlight those that particularly have made a difference. Number one, I choose curious over judgment and assumptions. And that has revolutionized my life and my relationships. Let me explain what I mean by that. You walk into every situation in your life and it is just human nature to assume you know what's going to happen. You assume you know what's going to happen when your husband gets home tonight. You assume you know what's going to happen in your kids' lives. You assume what you're going to feel. I mean, you just, we make all kinds of assumptions. We also make judgments all the time, all day long. And it's human nature. You can't stop yourself from doing this. We just all do it. But what we don't realize is often, oftentimes those judgments are just absolutely benign. And occasionally the assumptions are benign, but other times those judgments and assumptions are lethal. They kill friendships. They create great moments of disappointment because of expectations. They, 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 marriages end because of them. I mean, it's crazy. I was sitting with a couple early on in my, um, my um, practice, and <laughs> this occasionally happens, and it's the end of the hour, and they're going at it. I mean, we're talking two Mack trucks bearing down on each other. I mean, it's a mess. And we're five minutes over the hour, almost 10 minutes over the hour. And so I'm trying to kind of bring it to a close. So I say to them, all right, we know where we're going to pick up next week. <laughs> and they both turn to me at the same moment, and they look at me with the most panic-stricken faces. <laughs> and, and I could just tell that it was the, oh, my God, you're not sending us out of here like this, are you? And I said, okay, here's the deal. For one week, no assumptions and no judgments. And the husband looked at me and said, yeah, like that's going to happen. <laughs> and the beauty of that conversation was that we began to talk about the way they related to each other. And in this case, he particularly realized that his entire 
the entire way he knew his wife was based on his own assumptions and his own judgments. He didn't know her. He didn't let her tell him who she was or what was on her heart. He made constant assumptions and then judgments. You shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't do that. Well, that's a crazy way to fix it. You shouldn't fix that. It was all as his, and, and when he realized it, when his eyes were open, it was like, I don't know you. I don't know you. I have this caricature of you in that I've created around my assumptions and my judgments. And when he began to lay those down, oh my gosh, their relationship flourished. And she flourished because suddenly there was room for her, for the real her in the relationship. So I've learned, I go into every situation now not assuming I know anything about it or what's going to happen. And if I don't know, I'm going to ask a question. What's, go what's happening right now? What's going on in you? How are you feeling about that? I'm not going to assume I know. I know. And life is just a whole lot more exciting. It's really, really interesting when you, think you, when you stop thinking you've got it all figured out and you know what's going down. It really is interesting. Now I go into things going, huh, well, I wonder what's going to happen. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I love God's Word, but in a whole different way than I did in my 20s and 30s. In my 20s and 30s, I was the generation we studied the Bible, but the way we studied the Bible was kind of like to pick apart verses and define words, and we missed the story. And now I love to just think about the arc of Scripture, and when I drop down into a place in the Bible, I want to understand the context of it. I realize that I'm reading the Bible the way I'm listening to my clients. And I realize there's a whole story going on here. And you can't dive into one piece and think you've got the answer. You've got to be thinking about the whole thing. That's number two. Number three, I want to know myself. I want to know myself. And guess what? I'm very interesting. And I want to make sure I don't make assumptions and judgments about myself. And there's just a whole lot to explore and get to know. You, we assume, oh, I know myself. No, you don't. You don't. Yeah, yeah. Life keeps us from being able. To, it also requires, by the way, though, that there, you do find a little bit of inward space. The, ni the wonderful thing about our ourselves is that we can, we're the only, by the way, humans are the only species on the earth that can have a relationship with themselves. And I think this is a little bit like being created in the image of God. We don't exist in three, but we can have a relationship with ourselves. You have a running dialogue in your head all day long, whether you're aware of it or not. Start tuning in. Listen to yourself. One of the best things I do for my clients is I bring their world to them. I repeat their words and their phrases back to them because they don't listen to themselves. And they're like, whoa, what? Oh, I said that? Hmm, you know? So I want to know myself. And I, Psalm 139, 23 and 24, I've probably taught on that in here before, but I think that's David's invitation to God to shine his flashlight of his Holy Spirit around in the recesses of his soul and teach him who he is. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, four, I um, I. <laughs> I flourished the day I learned that black slacks were my uniform and when in doubt, black and denim. I love it. And I'm telling you, that has simplified my life 
and I make no bones about half my closet being black. Don't care, love it. It's what I, I, I flourished the day I figured that one out. So good, so good. Remy, um, Chloe said to Remy one day, it was Baba Day, and she said, Remy, guess who's coming tomorrow? And I'll give you one hint, black. <laughs> they got my number, and I'm good with it. I am totally good with it. I don't feel, when I see gorgeous color on somebody else, I don't feel any need to go buy that or find that for myself. I'll just enjoy it on you. Okay, that's number four. Number five, I let myself feel my feelings without shutting them down. Or a better word, I think, is I let myself experience my feelings. Experience my feelings. And I wonder about them. Wow, what's going on? wonder where that's coming from. I feel really strongly about that. Wow, I didn't expect that. I wonder where that, what's that connected to? What's that hooked to? And I don't answer my own questions too quickly. I just sit with those things and guess what? God designed your soul to want to speak to you. And those, the, 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 whatever you need to know about yourself and about what you're feeling, it'll kind of come to you. But you have to be curious. You have to wonder about it. You have to want to experience your feelings. And what most of us do is, and by the way, there are times during my day, I'm in the middle of a day with clients, and maybe I get a text or I get a phone call or something and it kind of, you know, kind of jars me a little bit or something. I do have to lay that aside to sit with my clients and you have to do it to deal with your kids. But I don't bury it. I don't dismiss it. I just lay it aside. It'll be there and I want to be able to come back to it. I want and I always think about Jesus who laid aside his deity to enter into our world. So you I know you have to lay aside anxiety or worry or any number of other types of emotions, anger, you have to lay that aside in order to enter the life of your child and be present for them. But don't stuff it down, just lay it aside and come back to it. Um, number six, I learned that people don't see me the way I see me. And I'll explain this one very quickly. So. <laughs> Pretty much, I was preaching this summer, because I still preach occasionally here, kind of like a pastor emeritus, kind of like the pastor, like the grandmother of the church or whatever, you know, you know. So it's, it's a wonderful role because you get to help people feel good and secure because you're just around. But you don't really have to do too much. It's kind of really cool, actually. And, you know, kind of like a grandmother, you know. She comes over, she brings some cookies, everyone feels good when she leaves, and, I mean, most of the time, not every grandmother, but, you know, that's kind of me here at this church. So anyway, so I was preaching this summer, and I was preaching the first Sunday that we went live on Facebook <laughs> so I and they DVD us every week and they give me the DVD and like twice a year I look at it but that's all and then I say oh my god I gotta lose weight or you know yeah. so so I click on the Facebook post and I'm like horrified <laughs> and I'm like pull the camera back don't come in at the side oh my god I can't handle my profile I'm gonna go get a chin lift okay how much do I have in my I mean I seriously I'm freaking out inside like that is hideous that is just hideous so first I say something to Lindsay Smith about it and, and she goes I have no idea what you're talking about and I'm like okay you're blind okay 
And then, a couple weeks later, I have a client in that used to attend this church, and she says, oh, a friend of mine told me you were preaching on Sunday, and so I pulled it up, and I found out we can't, it's, you don't just listen to you anymore, you get to watch you. So I pulled it up on Facebook, and I'm like, <laughs> inside, and she goes, and it was like, oh, there's my barb, oh, it's so good to see your face. I'm thinking, okay, clearly, you all do not see what I see, right? know that other people you look in the mirror other people see all of you they see your personality they see all that we don't see that when we look at ourselves do you know you actually can't look at yourself do you know that the best you ever see of yourself is a reflection you don't actually ever look at yourself yeah we don't but other people do and they do not see what you see just just a heads up it's really helpful to know that Otherwise, I pretty much wouldn't get up and preach ever again in my life. This is absolutely true. Okay, um, number seven, I choose to give or serve or help. I choose. I spent a lot of my life thinking, oh, I gotta go to that event. Oh. I mean, there were times when even I'd be going to speak at a conference, and I'd think, oh, I have to go speak at that conference. Now I'd get into it once I was there, but it was like, oh, I'm tired, I really wish I was staying home this weekend. You know, oh, I told so-and-so I'd do that for them. Oh, I gotta go do that. Okay, I just, I have to go do it. I have to go do it. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, really. But now in my life, particularly as someone who lives by myself, who doesn't have to do much for anybody else when I'm at home, you know what I mean? My life's kind of my own. I can do what I want. I can leave my house the way I want. It's exactly that way when I get home in the evening. No one's messed it up. No one's cleaned it up, I might add, but you know. Um, <laughs> And then I, you know, like Thursdays, like when I started doing Thursdays for Carrie, and you know, there would be times when I'm tired, it'd be nice to have a day off or whatever. And then I realized I can choose. I can say, I get to. I get to go on Thursday. Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, it'll be a long day. I get to. And I, and I want my heart to be more in on those opportunities to serve, even when I'm tired. And I'll get to that in just a minute. So that's number seven. Number eight. I am more in love with Jesus than ever, than ever in my life. Um, he is, you know, I love that when I think about attachment theory, and I think there's a reason why God calls himself Father, and it's not because he's male. There's a reason that Jesus calls us his brother or our husband. It's because those are the primary attachment relationships that we experience in our lives. And what God offers, what Jesus offers, is the attachment that we long for and are often disappointed in, in the context of human relationships. Now, I just preached a couple weeks ago and talked about how, well, Adam was in the garden and he had this perfect relationship with God. He walked and talked with him every day. You would think he would not need anything else, but he was lonely. And God said it's not good that he's alone. So God has wired us for human relationship as well. But but he is the one who offers the ultimate attachment. And that is such good news if you grew up in a home where your parents were distracted or distant or not there for whatever reason or at the other end of the spectrum abusive, then to know that what you didn't get is possible to receive is a wonderful thing. For me who went through a divorce and 
you know, had a husband walk away from a marriage and from me and basically say, no, I don't choose you anymore. To know that Jesus is a husband and he chooses me, he delights in me, you know, that is very, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I've learned that often what my life lacks makes my love for Christ even stronger. Number nine <clears throat> is the second part of that, I still need people. I'm more in love with Jesus than ever, and I still need people. Now, I have to tell you that there was this whole, like, about five-year period in my life where I was bound and determined that I was not going to need people. I was not going to need people. And my apologies for those of you who were there when I preached on this, because this is the story I shared. But I was standing in the hall at Multnomah. I was teaching there at the time. And I, and I was with my mentor, a uh, woman who was kind of my spiritual mentor, kind of my spiritual mother. And she was asking me about how I was doing. And I was telling her about how I didn't understand. I thought when you put God at the center of your life that he, that he would spill over into any other empty spaces in your life and you wouldn't need anything. <clears throat> and I, I just was totally confused about that reality. That was, this was kind of at the end of those five years where I had made a determination that I was not going to need people. It was fine if people needed me. I was fine with that. But I was not going to need people. It was God and me against the world. And so <clears throat> um, she said to me, oh, no, no, no. Which that was always bad news if she said things in threes. <laughs> she said, no, no, no. You put God at the center of your life. And he fills you up, and then he spins you around, and he sends you out into the world like a beggar woman. And this is, it was, it was like a week before Christmas, and I said, have a wonderful Christmas. I'll see you next year. <laughs> Honest to God. And turned around and walked away. Because I don't know what she'd, I heard her words, but there was no way in the world I was going wherever she was talking about. No way. Nine months later, I sat at her kitchen table and said, all right, tell me about the beggar woman. The idea that God would send me out into the world with need for human connection, knowing that probably 40 to 50% of the time or more I was going to be disappointed was a horrifying thought. But God wired me to need people. He asked us to show up and need people after some of our biggest disappointments. So I still need people. Number 10, I don't compare. I don't compare. I give it up because it it just does not help instead I want to cultivate gratitude and contentment with my life I work in an office with several colleagues um, several of them they're all married uh, two of them in particular uh, have husbands that are have done quite well quite well and I remember I came to work one day and I said to one of my colleagues oh, I love your dresses baby she said thanks I got it in Spain <laughs> I walked back into my office and thought, um, Norsham Rack? <laughs> Macy's on, yeah, Costco, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm not buying clothes in Spain. Uh, one of my other colleagues, and I love these women. They are wonderful to me. They love having me there. These are amazing people, amazing people. But she travels. I mean, she travels like there's no tomorrow. I think she, you know, it's like unbelievable. I go nowhere. In fact, the reality is I told someone when HDTVs come out, I thought to myself, well, that's that. I don't have to ever go anywhere. It all comes to you, and it's beautiful. And you don't have to pack a suitcase and get on a plane and all that other stuff. So, you know, I don't travel much. And fortunately, I don't have this, like, deep ache. I admire people who would love to travel. I don't have a deep ache to go travel or whatever. I like, I'll go anywhere with people. I'll go with people. That's my deal. But 
sometimes I think, oh, maybe I'm missing out. And then God says, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. You'll enjoy it all someday. New heaven, new earth. Yeah. Don't worry about it. That's their life. Enjoy their stories. Enjoy their pictures. Enjoy with them. But you're okay. You don't have to go, oh, I should be doing that. Don't compare. Don't compare. Uh, number 11, I embrace my whole story. I have one of the great things about being a counselor is you actually also get therapy occasionally and um, and you understand the value of digging into your whole story and recognizing how the whole story the good the bad and the ugly have shaped you and made you who you are and you're able to say okay God show me again parts of my story will bubble back up and I'll and you don't you don't like do it once you spend your whole life digging into your own story and something bubbles up and I say, okay, God, how, what do you want me to know from that? How do you want me to see that? What can I learn about that at this season of life, at this stage in life? So I embrace my whole story. And then my last one is this, number 12. Did I say 12? Said I said 14. Yeah, I don't have two more. <laughs> I, I will tell you something about myself. I never met a number I liked ever in my entire life. I tell all my clients, do not trust me with numbers. If you think I've made a mistake, some of them joke about it now. If, if, and if, if, if cl two clients happen to show up at the same time, which happens occasionally, not often, I, I say it's my fault because I'm sure I made the mistake because I just, you know, because I'm scheduling people all day long. I'm working with numbers. It's terrible. I don't, I did my own taxes one year when I was single and I got this thing from the government that said I owed them like a bazillion dollars or something <laughs> like that. And I called up my brother, my older brother, and I said, Dan, you gotta help me. I said, I, you know, I, I've got this thing that says I don't know what I did wrong with my tax. Because he said, do you, did you do them yourself? I said, yeah. I said that's what you did wrong. <laughs> Fortunately, he got me out of it. So number twelve, my last one is, I no longer ever even think about being perfect. My goal is not to be perfect in anything I do ever, 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 ever. My goal is to be fully human. I want to be fully human. That's what Jesus was. I want to be like Jesus, but I want to be fully human. Now, I got to give credit where credit is due. I first heard this phrase from my nephew-in-law, Tim Mackey, who's the head of the Bible Project. And he was speaking at Multnomah, getting an Alumni of the Year Award, and he said his goal was to be fully human. And I just went, wow, okay, that, got to think about that. For me, what that means is I'm going to own every wrinkle, double chin, Every, yeah, gray hair, every pound, every crooked toe, you know, every ache and pain. I want to own it all. It's part of being fully human. Do I have to, like, just love all of it? No. But I want to embrace where I'm at. I want to be fully human. I know that someday being fully human means I'm going to die. I also know that's a passageway to life. It's not the end, it will be a new beginning. But I wanna embrace where I'm at, I wanna be fully human. It means I'm gonna be sad. It means I'm gonna panic when my garage door breaks. It means I should not buy an expensive car because I occasionally bump into things. I mean, I am fully human. You know, I look at people driving BMWs and Mercedes, and I think, oh, that's the last thing I would do. <laughs> you can't, you know. I'm not saying I'm a bad driver, folks, I'm really not, but. 
you know, I just bumps. I don't have good spatial. <laughs> it's, and it's all mostly, it's me hitting objects, not cars. You know, it's backing into a pole or, you know, I don't know what it is about that. So, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. But that's part of what it means to be fully human for me. That's part of what it means to be fully human for me. So that's what I want to do. And I find that in those things, I'm flourishing. I'm flourishing. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here today with these women. And I pray that maybe just one of these things that I've said could be part of the challenge of learning to flourish this year. Thank you that you have, you love us. You want us to flourish. Thank you that it doesn't actually look the way we think it should or does often. And I pray that we would be able to flourish in years of drought and flourish in years of rain and growth and beauty. And so I pray that these relationships around these tables would be part of what creates uh, the, the water that helps each one of these women flourish. I pray that they're, as a result of them flourishing, that their children would flourish. And again, we know that doesn't mean the kind of outward facade that we often think of when we think of someone flourishing. May they flourish in times of health and in times of sickness. May they flourish in times of abundance and times of need. May they flourish when they are excited and happy and have something wonderful to look forward to. And may they flourish on the days when they think all they have is mountains of laundry and cleaning to do and noses to wipe and, and meals to prepare and all of the mundane day-to-day -day things. May they flourish because you are in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.